Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. I love being able to be with you guys and to learn together in this series called The Runaway. And uh, really what we're learning in this series is that we are more like Jonah than we would like to admit, right? Like I, I talked a couple of weeks ago that I think for a lot of us, it's easy to hear, oh, we're going through the book of Jonah. Oh, that's just a little kid's story. That's just for Sunday school. What does Jonah have to do with my life? And I think what we're realizing in this series is that we are more like Jonah than we would like to admit. Oftentimes we are running from God's calling, God's purpose, God's plans, God's will for our lives. And so often we are running the opposite direction. And this week, we're going to be looking at Jonah's prayer. But before we get into that, I read a story this week about a high school football player in his senior year. And midway through his senior year, he was kind of like, I'm kind of done with football. I want to try wrestling. I feel like I could be pretty good at wrestling. And so he wanted to try out for the wrestling team. And so he's begging his coach. He's like, come on, coach, let me be part of the team. You know, I could do it. Football, you know, is kind of like wrestling. You know, we kind of could get in there and, and have a little bit of a scuffle. Like, I'll be just fine. Let me be part of this team. And the coach was like, I don't know, man. We don't have the time to teach you the techniques and the skills and the things you need to know to be able to be part of the wrestling team. We've been working with a lot of people for a long time. I just don't know that you'll be able to compete at this level. But this kid was persistent. He kept on going at it with the coach. He was like, come on, let me do it, let me do it. Finally, he just wore the coach down. He's like, fine, let's do it. And so the coach uh, lets him be part of the team, and he, he tries out, he gets on it, and he didn't start off very well. Like, he kind of started off on a little bit of a losing streak, but over time, he got really good at it, and he eventually started to win. And he got so good that he actually ended up going to the state tournament, the state championship. But he was facing the former state champion, state champion. And so he was really up against it, and he's going at it, and the coach is watching this whole thing, and he's like, man, this kid's doing terrible. Like, I knew this was too good to be true. His winning streak's going to come to an end. I'm just going to look the other way. And while he's looking the other way, all of a sudden, this huge eruption of of cheering, of excitement comes from the crowd, and the coach looks, and he realizes that this newbie wrestler, this football player turned wrestler, now has the state champ pinned, and he's won the tournament, won the match, and he's the new state champion. And so the coach runs out to the mat, and he's like, you did it. How did you do this? Like, you won the match. You were losing, but you did it. How did you do this? And he goes, well, coach, I was in a desperate situation. Like, I I had never seen this hold before. I didn't know what to do. And all I could see was a big toe. And so what I did was with everything I had, reached out and bit that big toe. (laughs) And he said, coach, you'd be amazed at what you could do when you bite your own big toe. (laughs) Desperate times call for desperate measures. He was in a desperate place and he had to do that. And that's the title of today's message, Desperate Times Call for Desperate Measures. Because really what we're seeing here today is Jonah is finding himself in a desperate place. What we're seeing is this runaway prophet who is neglecting God's call on his life and he's running the opposite direction. And because of all of that, Jonah is now suffering the consequences of his decisions. All of these self-inflicted wounds are now causing him to do something that he refused to do just a few verses earlier. You know, last week I I mentioned that I wonder if Jonah stood on that boat, if he would have just called out to God and said, I'm sorry for going my own way. 
I'm going to go the right direction. I wonder if we would have just skipped chapter 2 and moved right to chapter 3. But now Jonah is doing something he refused to do earlier. He's crying out. He's praying to God. And he's repenting for going his own way. And really what we're going to learn today is that often our self-inflicted wounds can push us to change our lives and push us to Jesus if we let them. Now, I know some of you might be new here today, and, or maybe you were out for spring break last week, and so this is a narrative. It just keeps building on itself, and so I, I want to make sure that we're all tracking the same thing as we jump into chapter two. I don't want you to feel like you're walking in the middle of a movie here. And so what happens in chapter one is Jonah hears this call from God, go and preach to Nineveh. He's like, nope, that sounds like a bad idea. I'm going to go to Joppa, board a boat, and go 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. And he's going the opposite direction, and God sends this storm into Jonah's life. And this is a huge storm, and the sailors are all freaking out. They start praying to all their gods, and then they cast lots, and the lot comes up Jonah. So now it's confession time for Jonah. He's got to now confess what he's doing. He's like, I'm a Hebrew. I'm running from God. If you want this to all stop, if you want the sea, sea to stop raging so much, well, then just throw me overboard. And the sailors fear God too much. They're like, we can't do that. So they try to row, row, row their boat back to shore to save them. But that doesn't work. The storm only intensifies more. And so they throw them overboard. And what's really cool is that all these sailors who didn't want anything to do with God now have given their lives over to the Lord. And now Jonah is plunging to the death, to his death in the middle of the sea. And this great fish comes up and swallows Jonah. And what we said last week was that this storm and even this great fish was not an act of vengeance from God. This was an act of his grace because God wanted to turn Jonah back to the calling that he had for his life. Listen, God isn't going to abandon you. And we said last week, there's always consequences for the decisions that we make. However, good can still come out of our worst situations. In fact, Jonah is about to make a good decision. In fact, not only is he going to make a good decision, he's going to make a godly decision. So let's look at the Psalm of Jonah, as it could be called, because it could easily fit in the Psalms. His prayer in chapter 2, verse 1 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of a fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me or brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and I pray, and, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. 
In this prayer of desperation, Jonah is helping us see some truth about who God is and how God can lead us out of a storm when we've created it by ourselves, by our own disobedience, and by our running from God's calling in our life. And the first thing that Jonah really teaches us is that uh, we don't give up, we look up. We don't give up, we look up. Verse 2, he says, I called out to the Lord. Out of my distress, he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. See, no matter how bad things are in your life, no matter how far you think you are, you're too far gone. We don't give up. We look up. Our God is a good father, and he loves us. And if you seek him, he will find us. If we knock on the door, he will open it for us. God hears the prayers of those who are honest and broken and come from authentic place. So it's okay to pray, even if you've created your own storm, just like Jonah. Don't come in here today acting like God doesn't want to hear from you. God doesn't want to talk to you. God doesn't care about you. He won't listen to you. Jonah clearly is saying right here, God heard my prayers. He answered them. Even when Jonah was in the worst season of his life, the worst storm, he's like, God heard me and God answered me. And that's some good news for us today. God hears the prayers of those who run. God doesn't go on Twitter. He doesn't cancel you. He loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He hears you. He's still for you. But I want you to think for just a minute about what Jonah is saying here in verse 2. Because verse 2 is a very powerful verse. And we could easily just run right past it. But I want to show you the power of this verse. Because do you understand? Can you even grasp the fact that we have this ability to call on the God of this universe? That he's the creator, the sustainer, the one who spoke and life came into existence. He's the God who created that big fish. He's the God who spoke and galaxies were formed. He hung the stars in the sky. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is the one who is all-knowing, ever-present, and all-powerful. That God is the God that we have access to, that we can call on, and He will hear us, and He will answer us. That's some good news. Think about how crazy it is that we have access to that God. Jonah is calling on that God after he was basically like, hey, God, forget you. I don't want anything to do with you. But God, in his mercy, heard Jonah and he answered him. If you're in a crisis or a storm right now, maybe one that you created just like Jonah, because of your sin, your rebellion, some bad choices, God loves us even when we make huge mistakes. God's priority is not to pay Jonah back, to get Jonah back. God didn't send this fish to destroy Jonah. He sent this fish to save Jonah. So Jonah shows us that if God has a bent, his bent is towards grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, compassion. God wants to have a relationship with you. You know, God could have easily just had every right to look at Jonah and say, forget me. Hey, Jonah, forget you. Like, Who do you think you are? You know, you created this mess. You did this all on your own. You made your bed. Now you go lie in it. Like, forget me, forget you. I'm done with you. But God doesn't do that. He hears his prayers. 
In fact, verse 2 is even more powerful than that. Look at, verse, look at uh, the word distress in your Bible. You could circle that. You pay attention to it. You can write it down. But in the Hebrew, it means Sarah. And basically, what you can write above it is Sarah, but put a T in front of it. And Sarah means, it's a word used when a woman is giving birth. It means the struggle of childbirth or the distress of labor. But also circle that word Sheol. Because that word means grave. It could be translated the realm of the dead. Some of your Bibles might even read hell. Now here's why this verse is so powerful. You have Sarah, the struggle of a distressed childbirth. Sheol, hell. When you put those two words together in the Hebrew and you read it, what this verse is saying is, I was as good as dead, Sheol. But God in his mercy could cause me, Sarah, to be born again. I was as good as dead. I was completely on my own, powerless, helpless. I couldn't contribute anything. But I was not hopeless because God, even though I did not deserve his grace, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness, he was still on the throne. He was still hearing me and he could sorrow through the labor and the pain and the agony and he could get me to rise again from the dead so I could be born again. Some of you right now may feel like you're going through a Sarah or a Sheol right now. And through the Sarah of the pain, you could be born again. Some of you would say from the depths of your marriage in Sheol, you cried out to God and he heard you. Others of us, we would look at our lives and say from the depths of my heart in Sheol, while on the outside, everything looked like it was good. On the outside, it looked like I had it all together. Everything was going just fine. On the inside, though, I was desperate. I was depressed. I had anxiety. I was afraid. I I was dealing with depression. And from the depths of my heart in Sheol, I cried out to God, and he answered me. When I had no place to turn, I called unto God, and in the deepest, darkest place, he heard me. In your storm or in your crisis, God can rise you from the dead and you can be born again. In fact, I love what Psalm 121 says. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. For where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, we don't give up. We look up. Because God is listening. Because God cares. And because of all of that, the God of the universe will hear us and will answer our prayers. And that's what Jonah's doing here. He doesn't give up. He looks up. Second thing I see here is that we don't resent, we repent. We don't resent, we repent. Now, usually when we're going through a storm of our own doing, what we do is we end up getting angry at God instead of getting aligned with God. We'll look at our situation or our circumstances and we just get angry with God. We get angry with other people. We get frustrated with our circumstances, our situation. We start pointing the finger and blaming everybody else and not realize that it's our own sin, it's our own actions, it's our own rebellion that can put us in that place, that, can, that, that puts us in a place where we can experience destruction, chaos, and emptiness. And what we end up doing is we end up resenting. We go, well, this is how I was born. This is how I was raised. It's their fault. It's their fault. We're resenting when we should be repenting. In fact, Jonah chapter uh, 2 verse 3 says, 
For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. See, I want you to notice that God is actively working through all these different phases of Jonah's life to get his attention. God is trying to wake Jonah up right now. God is showing Jonah that there is nothing he can do. There is nowhere he can hide that God isn't. Jonah knew that God was trying to get his attention, but Jonah decided to keep on running, which led him even further into this mess. But I want to show you these different phases that Jonah's going through. Phase one, God tells Jonah, hey, I want you to go. Jonah says no. God goes, oh, really? That's how you can remember it. So God sends this huge storm. Phase two, it's such a big storm, these sailors are freaking out, so they start praying. They're like, Jonah, you need to pray with us. Nope, that didn't work either. Phase three, Jonah's like, hey, if you, if you want this sea to be calm, you just need to throw me overboard. But they're like, no, we're not going to do that. We fear that God too much. We don't want innocent blood on our hands. But they end up throwing him overboard. Phase four, he gets eaten by this fish. In phase five, this fish vomits Jonah onto dry land. All throughout these phases in Jonah's life, what do we see? We see the hand of God working and moving. God just wants Jonah to come face to face with him. He wants to have a conversation with him. He wants Jonah to wake up a little bit. He wants Jonah to go in the right direction. And I was thinking about this, and it reminds me of parenting, right? Like, now, I know a lot of your kids are perfect, so this may not apply to you, but my kids are sometimes not perfect. So for me, I know what Jen and I will do is we'll often tell our kids, hey, you got to do your homework. You got to read for 20 minutes. You got to do the study sheets. You got to, you know, make sure that you're, you're doing the stuff that the teacher asks you to do. And then other times we'll tell them, hey, you got to clean. You know, you guys are slops. You need to go upstairs, clean your rooms, clean the bonus room. You got to clean the bathroom you guys use, vacuum, dust. You know, we're trying to give them some responsibilities. They, care, they need to carry their weight in this house too. And so we'll tell them to do those things. They'll go, okay, afterwards, can we play video games? Uh, sure. Can we watch TV shows? Sure. Get the job done. You can do that. So about 20, 30 minutes later, they're like, I'm done. We're done. You did everything I asked you to do. Oh, yeah, 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 we know, we got it. Oh, okay. And so I'll, I'll eventually come upstairs, and what do I see? All the stuff moved to the side, right? It's all pushed to the side, and Dawson's new thing is he goes, well, my youngest son, he looks at me and he goes, well, I created a path. Like, that's the whole idea to him is, that's clean. I'm not going to step on Legos. So I guess, in a way, it did do me a favor, but it's at the point, you know? I'm like, no, you got to clean it up. You got bins for this stuff. Their drawers, clothes are hanging out over it. They don't even shut anymore. You know, the closet, if I open it, toys just spill out everywhere. You know, I still remember Brody was like maybe four years old. And I have this picture. And uh, one day, maybe I'll bring it to share with you. But all his toys are on his bed. And there he is literally asleep on the floor because he wore himself out. Like, and he thought he cleaned his room. But he didn't. He just put everything on his bed. And then at night, he had to put everything back and was back in the same position. He still had to clean his room. Well, that's what they do. They think they clean their room. And so what I like to do as a parent is I like to have a lot of power. You know, it's kind of fun. And it often reminds me it's a good thing that I am not the Lord because this would, it would be too bad. But my kids, what I like to do is when I go up there and I see that things aren't done the way that I want them to be done, 
What I like to do is I like to just go and unplug the internet and then just wait. And I stand there. 10, 20, 30 seconds. And you know what's so great? I don't have to yell at him. I don't have to come find him. I don't have to do anything. You know what I hear? Well, the internet! What? How did this go out? How? I was in the middle of my match, you know? Like, my show stopped. And they're starting to freak out. And they come running and they come finding me. And when they come find me, they'll go, why is the internet not working, Dad? And I'll be like, because you didn't do what I asked you to do. And so sometimes they'll get angry. What? I did it. Like, this is too hard. They're not helping. And they get so angry and all that. But I just want them to get aligned with me. I don't want them to resent me. They could easily resent me like dad's a real jerk. Like he thinks he's got all this power, you know, like they could resent me. But what I want is I want them to repent. I want them to do what I asked them to do. I want them to do the thing that I asked them to do right the first time. And so sometimes I got to turn off the Internet to have them come running to find me. God will try to get your attention to bring you back to him. And sometimes the circumstances and the situations need to be hard. If they're going to be helpful. Sloshing around in the gastric acid juices of this huge fish is not a pleasant thing. It's a terrible situation. It isn't pleasant, but it's very helpful. And God gets his point across in a very unique and very surprising way. Listen, sometimes God uses hard. But hard can be helpful. We don't resent, we repent. The belly of a fish is not a happy place to live, but it's a good place to learn. Here's the third truth. Don't trade God's goodness for your empty desires. Don't trade God's goodness for your empty desires. In verses five through seven, Jonah's like, I get it, God. You've allowed this into my life. You've got my attention. There was no hope for me. I was ignoring you, running the other direction, doing my own thing. I checked out on you, but now I'm coming back to you. And Jonah's like, you've heard my cry and you've pulled me up out of the pit. And then he's highlighting how he is turning his attention towards God and he's ready to respond. It's as if from the deepest point of his life, he's warning us, the readers. He's saying, whatever you do, Don't do what I did. Whatever you do, don't run from God. Whatever you do, don't think that you're smarter than the Lord. Don't think that you're correct and he's wrong. Don't disobey. Don't neglect God. Learn from me. Don't do what I did. And then verse 8, he says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What he's getting at is if we cling to idols, we forfeit the grace of God that can be ours. Anyone who clings to the things that don't matter, it could be the worldly things, it could be sinful pleasures, selfish pleasures, anything outside of God. If we cling to those things, we do not, we forfeit the grace of God in our lives. Now, what were Jonah's idols? Well, I think one could be prejudice. God tells him to go to the Ninevites. And what does he do? He says, nope, I don't like them. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't believe like me. I'm not going to go do it. I think he has the idol of self. 
God tells him to go. He's like, I got a better idea. I know what to do. My plans are better. I, 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 me, me, me. I think for a lot of us Christians, that's the one, that's the one idol we have to deal with and fight with most of the time. God tells us, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to be a part of this or that. And what do we do? I don't think so, God. I don't need to root this sin out of my life. I know what's better. I know what I've got. I'm going to go over here and do that. What idol is it for you today that you're holding on to, that you are forfeiting the grace of God into your life? Maybe it's the idol of image. Do I look good? Do I look good in social media? Do I look good when I come to church? Maybe it's the idol of a relationship. I just need to find somebody. If I could only be in a relationship, if I could only get married. You know, but I love him and I love her. It's okay. We're just going to sleep with each other. Everybody else is doing it. Why not me? It makes me feel good. It makes me feel loved. Maybe it's the idol of materialism. Things. I like things. Things, things, things. Money gets me things. I just need more things. So we cling to those idols. What idol is it for you today that you are clinging to? If you are clinging to an idol, you forfeit the pursuing love of God, the grace of God in your life. And let me tell you, that's a bad trade. It's a bad deal. Don't do it. And maybe today you just realize through the Holy Spirit that you know that you are holding on to some things. You are clinging to certain idols, certain things in your life. And you're holding on to them. And you realize that all they've done is left you empty and broken. You feel like your life is meaningless. You have no hope. You've held on to those idols for too long. And maybe today you are like Jonah. You realize you need to let go of those idols. And you need to cling to God today. And if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer in just a few minutes. Similar to one of Jonah's. Where you're just repenting of your sins. You're letting go of those idols. And you're running and you're turning to God. You're going to hold on to, cling to him. See, when we cling to these idols, we are missing out on on God's grace. And here's the fourth thing. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 9 says, But with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. And it could, your other translation can say, but I, with a voice of praise or singing, will, will sing to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is in the belly of this great fish. And there's nothing he can do to contribute to his salvation. You know, it was customary at this time. If, there was a, uh, if, they, if they had sin in their life, they had to find an animal and shed its blood to cover their sins. Jonah can't do that right now. Jonah's in the belly of the fish. He can't do anything to get himself out of this fish. He can't do anything to add to his salvation. But all he does is he sits there and he praises God. And he goes, salvation belongs to you, Lord. Here's the reality. The answer to your sin problem is Jesus. No one, nothing, not even yourself, has the power to forgive your sins and give you grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness, give you a future and a hope. And just like Jonah couldn't do anything to earn his salvation, you can't either because salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not from you. It's not from your works. It's that you can't do enough good things or I'm not going to do bad things, you know? 
Salvation belongs to God, which means God is the owner of it. And the Bible says that God is willing to freely give it to anyone if you just believe in faith and receive Jesus. It says, for by grace you have been saved. Not from your own works, meaning you can't do anything to earn the salvation. So you can walk around going, look how good I am. Look at all the good things I did. I earned this salvation. No, it's not so you can brag and boast. It's a free gift given to us from God. And when you realize that it cost Jesus his blood, his body to be broken, his blood to be shed for your sins, it should do a couple things for you. It should make you, one, realize, man, I need that grace so I can find purpose and meaning and fulfillment in this life. But two, it should cause you to praise God. Because God did for you what no one, nothing, not even yourself could do. And that is save you and give you a future and a hope. But I love that Jonah doesn't just end in verse 9. It's like, the end, see you next week, you know. The story continues. And then in verse 10 it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. See, God does not divorce you when you disobey. God does not kick you to the curb when you've messed up. God does not snatch your inheritance away from you. In reality, our God is the God who gives second chances. God hears Jonah's cry of repentance in the belly of the fish. And this fish vomits Jonah out on dry land, which to me is a pretty disgusting verse. In fact, I realize today I've said vomit more times on a Sunday than I think I have in the last six months, right? Like in this verse, we kind of go, how's this going to bless me before lunch? Like, I don't even get this. Like, this is kind of disgusting. But I'll show you the power of verse 10. When you call on the Lord, he hears you and he answers you and he spoke. And he was, Jonah was delivered from his circumstances and his situations. And God gives him a second chance. We serve a God who is willing to give us a second chance, a third chance, a tenth chance, a thousandth chance, 10,000, 10 million chances. That's the God we serve. And Jonah's willing to give, and God's willing to give Jonah the second chance to obey his word. And today he's willing to give you that second shot too. See, the Bible is full of people who don't have it all together. They're broken and messed up people. Adam and Eve. Yay, we're in the perfect place, hanging out with God in the garden, talking with him, walking with him. And then God says, hey, look at that tree. Don't eat of that fruit. What do they do? Eat of the fruit. Sin enters the world. God looks for them. He's like, what have you done? Why have you done this? Why are you hiding from me? But God can still use them. David, this was his title, a man after God's own heart. But he had one of the worst seasons of his life committed adultery, lying to cover up his tracks, had somebody killed. And this prophet named Nathan comes up to him and he's like, hey man, you got to turn, you got to repent, you got to go back to Jesus. And David then writes Psalm 51, this prayer of repentance. And God uses David. And God does great things in and through him. We would jump to the New Testament. Think about Peter. Peter, he's, he's like one of the closest disciples with Jesus. You know, he's in the inner circle. It's James, John, and Peter. If anybody shouldn't have failed him, it should be Peter. But what happens? Jesus is going to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And what ends up happening? People see him and they're like, hey, you're Peter. Don't you hang out with Jesus? 
Aren't you a disciple? Don't you follow Jesus? And Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus dies. He rises again. And he says, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter. And I love that he adds that because Peter needs hope too. Hey, tell them that I'm alive. And before Jesus ascends into heaven, he looks at Peter and they have a face-to-face conversation. And Jesus restores Peter and Jesus uses Peter to become one of the greatest leaders of the early church. We serve a God who gives second chances. When we turn from our sins, we repent of those sins and we turn to him. God will give you a second chance when it comes from a genuine, heartfelt place. But let me be very clear, because we could all leave here today twisting the words, thinking I'm saying one thing when I'm not saying it. We could easily hear everything going on and going, great, this is my license to sin. This is my license to go do what I want. You know, I was thinking about sinning. I was thinking about doing those things. I was thinking about acting out a fool, you know. I was thinking about doing those kinds of things. So I think I'm going to go do that because God's a God of second chances. God will just forgive me. I'll just go do what I want. This is my license to sin. Listen, that is not what I'm saying at all. That is not the truth of the Bible. In fact, I will say this, that if you are a follower of Jesus, you should hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. If you are thinking about sinning right now and going, well, God's the God of second chances, you are wrong. And I would even say, I don't know that you're a follower of Jesus. Because we shouldn't be thinking, how close to the line of sin can I get before I fall off? We should be running from those things. Listen, sin will always cling to the believer, but the believer should not always cling to sin. Now, there's times as a follower of Jesus, when you're walking with him and you're pursuing him, there's going to be times that you're going to fall into sin. That's called the flesh. We're all dealing with that. Listen, I still sin too. Don't be shocked, all right? We all still sin. We have this flesh. We will never be perfect on this side of heaven. And there may be a time when you drift away from the Lord. But even when we drift, even when we sin, when we do things that we shouldn't do as followers of Jesus, we don't need to keep running the opposite direction. That's what the enemy wants you to do. We don't run the opposite direction. We run to the Lord and we cling to him. God is a God of second chances. And so here Jonah, he's covered up in all this seaweed. Shirt's probably all stretched out. Probably really stinks as well. If he has hair, uh, it's probably all bleached blonde, you know. That's probably how he's walking out onto the shore. And God gives Jonah a shot at obedience. In a way, God's telling Jonah, hey, we're going to go back to where I want you to go in the first place. Jonah didn't hesitate, and he moved and immediately went to Nineveh. Are you here today, and you strayed from God's path, God's best for your life? Do you need a second chance? In Revelation, the Bible tells us in chapter 2, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the good works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. Maybe today you just need to look and see how far you've fallen. But don't just go, man, I'm too far gone. Call out to the Lord. Jonah clearly says he will hear you and he will answer you. 
God is the God of salvation. Your life isn't over. You're not too far gone. You haven't messed up completely. And here's the good news. When you turn to Jesus and you repent of your sins, God has amazing plan and purpose for your life. But you got to run to Jesus. Amen? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.